No, I think I'm going to be keeping this entirely obscure references the whole time. That's cool, right? Cool. It's totally cool with me if it comes with incredible wisdom and amazing stories. It's Betsy Bird on You May Contribute a Verse. I'm Josh Munkin, children's lit author, father, science communicator, and podcaster, joined by Brenna Jenneret, children's lit author, mother, avid climber, and outdoors person, and podcaster. This is the podcast You May Contribute a Verse, where we talk to kidlit creators, share their stories, and learn from their journeys. New blog banners, kidlit drinks, ostrich illustrations, and fleshy agents, hot men of children's literature, critical race theory, this conversation has it all. As you may have surmised, we do indeed have children's author, librarian, podcaster, storyteller, funny person, blogger, and reviewer Betsy Bird on the podcast this week for a much-hyped conversation that delivers. Betsy is an absolute wealth of knowledge, fitting for a librarian speaking to people who want to learn more. She's got stories galore from her years as a librarian, a blogger for the School Library Journal, and as author of several books, among them in the recent middle grade, The Long Road to the Circus. She's also a podcaster with her sister on the weekly podcast Fuse 8 and Kate. Obscure references abound in this convo, sure, but there's a lot of non-cliche heart with this humor, too. FYI, chances are you may forget this by the time you get to the end of the episode, but just in case you don't, you'll hear us cut off sort of abruptly at the end. That's because there's more in store. Our next episode will feature some friend-submitted questions in an off-schedule bonus convo with Betsy. And finally, find out more about Betsy at her website, BetsyBirdBooks.com. Here is Betsy Bird's verse. Well, first of all, Betsy, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Yeah, it's such a delight to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we've been... um, I mean, I've been a longtime fan personally since I saw you speak on um, the 12 by 12 forum like last oh, year. Yeah. I think you did a talk about humor and being subjective. And I just was like, oh, my gosh, your presentation sort of blew my mind a little. I was like, she's so right. It, it is subjective. Like, that's why people don't <laughs> think I'm funny. It's not because I'm not funny. It's because they just don't get it. Right. It's like <laughs> I am objectively yeah, funny. funny. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's the day we find the thing that everyone finds funny. That'll be amazing. But we have yet to find that thing. Yeah. Right. Because I think you also mentioned, right, like most of the same things make people sad. Like, you know, the death of a pet. That's sad. Like across the board, like people mm-hmm. aren't going to react to that in different ways. But right. trying to be funny, especially, you know, in picture books and for kids and there's all these variables. It just is like. Yeah, it's a lot harder to do. So It is. I would love to read a, a scientific study about what aspects of your growth and development affect what you find funny in your life. Um, or even what media you've consumed or, you know, like, or what your parents have introduced you to. And I, it, there's all these factors that come into play. Yes, yes. And even like specific timing, like within like a familial unit is funny, like or like the inside jokes that get passed down or just the way like the cadence of Mm -hmm, saying mm -hmm. things. And a lot of like that specifically, like, you know, family inside jokes, of course, but like cadence or just the family culture that is like impossible to translate onto a page. Like that is really hard. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I would love to get family inside jokes in there, but it it just doesn't happen. (laughs) 
Yes, I actually I actually slid one into a recent manuscript and my critique partners, all of them were like, I don't understand why this is funny. Like, I don't what what happened? Why is this? And I'm like, oh, yeah. OK, well, that makes sense. I'm just going to have to take that out. I'm like, it's funny. You just I guess you had to be there. Like, never mind. Don't worry about it. I'll yeah, oh, no, it. no, no. Yeah. But it's, it's it's good to see how much you can get away with. I think that's <laughs> right. healthy. Yeah. <laughs> Early drafts are for sneaking things in. Absolutely. I've snuck something into every one of my books, but it's usually obscure librarian references. So there you go. <laughs> every single one has a reference to someone important in the history of librarianship in America. <laughs> and I've got in my latest one, no one's gotten that one that I've heard. Uh, they got, they've gotten it on all the other ones, but they never got that one. So In Long Road to the Circus? Yeah, Long Road to the Circus. I have a very, I'm sure someone's, you know, I bet you anything my ex-boss at NYPL got it. But she didn't tell me if she did. She did say she read the book. But um, I have a reference to, you know, Anne Carol Moore was the great, you know, children's librarian. She was followed by Francis Clark Sayers. So I have like some of the animals on the farm named Francis Clark and Sayers. And uh, I'll bet you anything. There's like two people in the world who read that went, ah, but that's it. Yeah. (laughs) You write. Yeah. But they say you write for those specific people, right? Find your niche and write towards that. That's exactly it. When I read um, out loud for the first time in front of a group, I was I was at the Minnesota like book fair like what two three years ago, and I was reading Great Santa Stakeout, and I began with the character you know it begins with the character's name Freddie Melcher, and immediately the librarian standing next to me started hooting, and because she knew what I had done there, Frederick Melcher started the Newberry and the Caldecott, and I oh, put that, okay. and she just thought that was a hoot. <laughs> See. <laughs> Librarian humor. I was going to ask what it was in in the Santa State Garden. Yeah. Like, where's it's the librarian name. hidden in there? It's yeah, his name. okay. Very few people get that one, but yeah, it's in there. <laughs> so I will cop to uh, some prep for the conversation that we're having right now. <laughs> Listening to your interview from, I guess, a couple years ago now with Giuseppe from oh, yeah. Illustration Department, uh, and just the he he's the type of podcaster who would get that reference. Or uh, oh, yeah, no, uh, can can go toe to toe with you? I don't get. Yeah. Oh, for for yeah. sure. Oh, Brennan yeah. and I joke about how how little prep we do. So you're just way way over our heads with <laughs> some of the references. But there's plenty more to enjoy, right? Oh yeah. No, no. I think I'm going to be keeping this entirely obscure references the whole time. That's cool. Right? That's cool. That's cool. I think that's cool. That's cool. This is the most extensive podcast episode notes ever. Yeah. Right. We're gonna have to publish it with like like a code sheet. Like a decoder ring, like a Betsy Bird decoder ring is going to have to accompany each episode. It'll be like tail fire. The the annotations are going to be longer than the actual book. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Here's a pretty crazy question. Can you see me? Yeah. Okay, I can't see me, and it's unnerving me. I can see my oh. shoulder, and I'm 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 like high shoulder. Okay, so you can't, you can't <laughs> no, see me. That's strange. It is very weird. I'm a I'm a I'm just a portion. I'm just a sliver of myself here. Oh, that's that's okay. As long as I know you can see me, that's fine. Are you yeah. scrolled down too far on the page? No, Sometimes no, no. that'll happen it's, with it's me. To the I'm... right of both of you. Maybe if I like extended it to the right. Oh, I didn't think about that. Maybe I can, I can extend myself to the right. Not that I have to see myself, but it's. It it's, is a little after weird, all this, Hey, there I am. Yeah. Ah, there you <laughs> it's so important. Right? It's so important as an author to find yourself. <laughs> Oh, all right. Now I feel more prepped. I feel more like, okay, right, good. see my turtleneck. I'm all good. You know what you're, yeah. You know, and you know what you're dealing with. I know. Exactly. exactly. Yes. 
Um, I wanted to, this is not, I wasn't planning to start with this, but I got this book at the library the other day based on listening to one of your podcasts and it's oh, kind of awesome. Yes. yes. It's so Josh, <laughs> I this is, to see um, that book. It's called, <laughs> it's called A Perfect Vacuum by Stanislaus Lem. And so let me just, in a nutshell, my interpretation from what I've read so far, this is basically like pre-cookie pitch, cookie pitch stuff. It's so, it's so good. Like I, I heard you mention it and I was like, I'm going to put it, I'm going to look for it, see if I can find it. And I found it and it arrived. And I was like, this is, this is awesome. I didn't think they would have it, but they did. It's partly that book's kind of a guilty thing for me because I was I weed my library and that book got weeded. But then as um, I was weeding it, I was like, oh, this looks pretty interesting. I should have kept it in the library. <laughs> I feel bad now because now it's mine. <laughs> but it's, oh my gosh. I mean, the, just the idea behind it. Stanislaw Lem had a big uh, New Yorker profile recently too, which made me kind of happy oh. to see. I was like, wow. He was talking about his entire life and, and experiences and how he's huge in other countries and he's not as well known here he's sort of the international ray bradbury but man i love that guy and, and just the idea just the balls of doing like i'm gonna do a whole book of fake book reviews <laughs> yes so that's what this book is that. Josh. yeah it's like taking cookie pitch to like the next level like instead really of just is making up fake pitches for fake yeah. books. This guy reviews those fake books. Yes. It's like, and it's, it's a full, oh yes. yeah. And it's like a full novel. Oh. It's not just like, Oh, I'll just dabble. Like it's an essay. This no, is like no, no. fun or like an There's article. All these different types of reviewing styles with all these different types of books. Like, Oh, brilliant. It's just chef's kiss. <laughs> it's like, an inst- I mean, it becomes like an instructional on styles of reviewing. Yes. Interesting. Yes, but also styles of fiction and nonfiction that he loathes or likes or feels fail in some way. It's yes, just, it's just amazing. It's I so sell a book like the that. ultimate straw man situation yeah. in which I've set up the straw man. I've defeated the straw man. There is nothing else here but me. But yeah, it's yeah. It blew my mind a little bit, like the introduction yeah. where it was like the author. What did he say? Like, so the author actually creates their own like prison, essentially, like that you have to write in, like you have created your own, um, you know, ramifications and there is no freedom anymore. Right. You have to write within what you have created. And so then he took it this step further and was like, well, I'm not going to. I don't want to. So I'm going to review what you didn't write and write whatever I want to about it. And just like you know essentially like we'll publish it outside the lines yeah it's it's so like yeah I don't even know yeah like you said the balls to just like this is what I'm gonna do it's incredible yeah I'd love pity there wasn't a sequel but yes that's all right I'm happy (laughs) enough having found that one and it it lives in my home so it has a happy home now I wonder where that falls in his bibliography I do wonder that since he was mostly science fiction um and I think he had some essay collections. So I guess this falls with the essay collections, but still it's, it's so bizarre. We're going to leave it to him. Mr. I was, and, yeah. yeah. Well, there I was, was a, I was tempted to go and look it up, <laughs> see, <laughs> see where it falls. Mm-hmm. Uh, because what an off, off the wall concept. Uh, oh yeah. For a book well, to sell. He had a graphic novel that was illustrated. Well, yeah, no, he had a short story. It was turned into a graphic novel illustrated by John J. Muth. I want to say, 
that must be who it was because who else, why would I come up with that name otherwise? And <laughs> it was one, just a short like story, like brain problem of a guy going back in time, but he can't control it, but he can only go back a certain amount. And so he keeps going back. So there's always more and more of him, but he's got to figure out from what exact moment he went back. It's like, okay, this guy has a bandage. That's because this thing happened with the hammer, but that happened about like two hours ago. So we, it's just, oh. it, just woo, it was, I don't know that it was really for kids because as an adult, I was enjoying it very much, but uh, kids are prop, but for the right kid, for the kid who likes to have their mind blown occasionally, I think it was an excellent book. So. I was just thinking that when you were saying that though, because like, so my son will be five at the end of next month. There's no way. I mean, like, that's just like following all of those different timelines and stuff. Yeah. That's like, but what you're saying, yeah, like that sounds fascinating. I would well, love to read that. Yeah. And like my son was totally into this Jason Shiga graphic novel called Meanwhile, where it's, oh boy, that's a, where you, you are these little tabbies and you follow a storyline. So we're kind of like a choose your own adventure, but you're following to a storyline that then, and you have to like literally follow it with your hand to get to the next thing that happens. But one of, it's about entropy, time travel, and uh, I can't remember what the third one is. Oh, probability, I think. And uh, and so it's it's teach it's sort of teaching these concepts, kind of. Um, but at the same time, he was just fascinated by it because he because there were there were certain parts that was just really hard to figure out because you flip through it eventually and you're like, well, there's this part. How do I get there? And you can't figure it out going forward. You're like, it's because there's one moment where there's like, oh my gosh, like 15 of these tabs and you have to figure out which one to take and which one's going to take you to the right one and it takes you forever to figure out. And then there's a, the two-page spread with the kid riding a squid and that's you can't get to that page. It's just in the <laughs> middle there for people who are just flipping through. And I was like, very good. Bravo, <laughs> bravo. Very bravo. Good. Just put a random squid in there. I appreciate I, that, yes. From a process <laughs> perspective though, what must go into creating something like that? I mean, speaking of creating a prison for yourself as an author... Well, he's a mathematician and he had to create, oh my gosh, he, it says at the beginning, like how many hours it took, plus the computer program he had to invent, to write, to make it so he could work, make this out. I mean, the guy is, oh, is wow. for uh, less fame, I get the, like the work to fame ratio is like way off on this one. Oh, people, right. people so if you yeah. Yeah, if you're struggling with your 500 word picture book manuscript, at least you're not taking on Jason Shiga's project. <laughs> Which literally, I think he says, has 3,000 something different ways of doing it. Just if you were, oh, if you do the math, there, you could do 3,000 different ways of doing oh, it. Oh, wow. It is, uh, it is fantastic. He has some very adult graphic novels too that I very much enjoy that are also sort of like messing with your mind where the concept is there's a guy, he dies, he immediately goes into the next living person so he discovers he's a demon and then the logistics of trying to get yourself killed get real dark real fast <laughs> so what do those art notes look like do you think oh my gosh he, shows them sometimes. he sometimes shows them it's interesting yeah wow yeah that just yeah like josh saying like trying to get like if a critique partner sent me that i'd be like Oh, wow. Okay. Can you just give me a minute? I'm going to need to like, like step back a little. You don't mind this on the wall. <laughs> like, yeah. like the whole, it's going to yeah. take me a minute. <laughs> it's for the process nerds. That's what it's for. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. Well, I'm glad to hear that there's a, an audience for that out there. The process oh, yeah. nerds, you know what I mean? Like stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely our kid there. process nerds are my favorites. Like the ones who really like dig down and then like get a chance to, t- you know, there's that fun series that Steve Shankin's got going on right now where um, he pits authors in a game show against their greatest fans and then quizzes them on details of their books. And you have to see if the author knows the details as well as the fan. Oh, and, I love uh, that. It is very good. It is very Guaranteed good. Fans and, win. Oh yeah, I think fans. Yeah. It's always like some ten-year-old who's like totally obsessed. <laughs> you know, he's like read it ten times, and they've got annotations and the things. It's like yeah, no. the the authors don't have a chance. Essentially, yeah. Because I don't. Oh my gosh. I, was I, like, I wrote a middle grade novel. People like read me like funny lines. I'm like, did I write that? <laughs> that sounds great. <laughs> like, yeah, that was really funny. The danger of that being, I could just put it in another book and not realize I put it in the first book. So, you know, I'm just like, mm, I don't know. I write stuff. I don't know what I write. Mm. Words come up. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. A game show with the author pitted against their, like, their number one fan. Yeah, they just had Jason Reynolds, I think, just went on it um, against oh one gosh. of his fans. So, yeah. Is it, it's a series, like a book series? No, no, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a web series. Oh, web Steve series. Shankin. Yeah, it's a web series. It's a Got show. It. It's like a web show um, where Steve Shankin regularly does this. He used to do a comic series on my blog, and now it looks like he's putting all his energy into this web series. Now I'm like, oh, <laughs> I lost him. I lost him, which makes sense because there were a lot of work. It was like he would walk with authors, having discussions, and turn the discussion into a two page comic that he would then put on my blog and they were great uh but they were a lot of work <laughs> like yeah find the author walk with the other write down the notes to remember what you talked about make the comic improve the comic give it to betsy improve the comic again give the next version to betsy then she posts it yeah so it was a lot wow i didn't pay him <laughs> he was like can i put it on your site i'm like yeah sure yeah right of course you were great. just a stepping stone I was I was just the medium through which to portray this channel. Things. Yeah, oh, right. Wow. How long um, have you been writing your blog? Because I know, so like you know, listening listening in when I have time to the podcast, I know that you have written the blog for quite a while. And it used to be you were saying you would write like one a day because you just that was pre kids and you just had the time. Your foot loose, fancy free, right? So you could just like dive in, right? I I marvel at that now. I'm like. I could have done so much. I could have done so much more. I had no idea how much could time. I, instead, I was writing a review a day. Imagine what I could have gotten done if it had been like books. Oh, my God. Exactly. You'd yeah. have 20 books by now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I um, The blog was started because of a school library journal article. I was working, I think, I, now I get a little fuzzy on the timing on this, but I believe I was working at the Jefferson Market Branch in 2002. Um, and uh, that's like a really cool branch of New York Public Library. And this school library journal article comes out for school librarians saying, hey, there's this new thing. It's called a blog. You should try (laughs) it for your school. And I was like, blogging, eh? I could make one for my library. And it could say the upcoming story times or if they're canceled. And I could have little book. I was already doing book reviews on Amazon just for fun. Because I'd taken a course in my library school on like how to write a book review. And I was like, this is fun. Um, And so I was just doing it, like just randomly reading kids books and just putting them on Amazon. 
which got subsequently longer and longer and longer as it went. <laughs> right. And I went to New York Public Library and I said, blogging, I want to make one for my library. And then they went, no, 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 no. A, no, oh, no, no, Yeah, I don't know what that is. And then B, uh, we would have to edit every single, because like you're representing us. So therefore we would have to edit every blog post you did. And that's a lot of work for us. I'm like, no. I was like, oh, all right. Uh, yeah. I'll make one for myself. I will make my own and I will mention where I work because at that time we had no concept of where work and personal life, uh, <laughs> melded and mixed and it right. was, it was, it was all new. It was the wild west. So I made one for myself and then because I was in New York, I don't even know how, but I guess somehow I started getting advanced reader galleys and I started reviewing those early. And that got the publisher's attention. And then somehow I wrangled an invitation to these previews they do for local librarians um, to say, here's our upcoming season. They'd been doing this for a while, but no one had ever written it up. And like, and I was like, I'd write them up and put them out. And my God, talk about free advertising there. So they got very interested when that started (laughs) happening. And after a while, and it's a question if it was a year or two, uh, School Library Journal came to me and they were like, hey, how about you do what you're doing, but we pay you for it. And I went, would you like some money? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Where's the catch? And they're like, we're not going to edit you. Um, Occasionally we'll send you an email saying, Hey, could you not use that image? And I'll be like, sure. Uh, That happens once every seven years. If that. um, That's awesome. Yeah. And nobody cared. And so I was like, "Mm, okay. And they bought me a fish (laughs) lunch and it was delicious. And, uh, and they've been paying me ever since. Uh, And so it's, yeah, it's, and they're about. We're about to have a new. Uh, they give me a new header. They're finally going to change my name to Betsy, which has never been the case. It's always been Elizabeth. And I've been like, can I be Betsy? And they're like, uh, no. I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, but now I'm Betsy, which is awesome. And they're going to give me like a little background of a bunch of birds on a wire that connect to a fuse. So it's got like the bird of my name and the fuse number eight of my branding like, coming together. I'm like super cool so we'll see last time they did a big update though it was like 10 years ago and i lost all my images in the previous iterations of the blog so for us it doesn't happen again yeah (laughs) but the bar is low you don't lose all my images yay it is it, it is surprising going back to the arc thing it is surprising how uh willing publishers are to engage with that i mean you took it and ran with it for sure and have made uh par- you know part of your career out of it before brenna came on i had tried that but i'm i've started this as a parent and i'm like i can't i can't, I can't read this much <laughs> i can't i speak people have multiple books and i gotta i gotta churn through all this stuff and i also gotta be a parent too so well, got in ahead of the game yeah, I when I was I was in surf, it was all just being in the right place at the right time. And I was in New York. I had a subway commute. You know what you do on the subway? You read. That's like a half hour there, half hour back. I move away from New York. I walk to work now, but most people would take a car. Even in a car, you can listen to an audiobook for a fair amount of time. But I walk 15 minutes to work, and I'm like, on the one hand, awesome, living the dream. On the other hand, where'd all my reading time go? <laughs> That was my reading time. And suddenly, like, middle grade novels, like, are there 200 pages? I'm like, it's 200 whole pages. Like, a box <laughs> that big, but it doesn't matter. I'm just like, oh, God, it's taking me <laughs> weeks just to read this book. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, and then, of course, being a parent, yeah, when I didn't have kids, I could, like, I don't know, come home and read a book, but that's not, Imagine that's not that. a thing. That's not, yeah. That's not yeah, I got this for, 
I got this book recently called Long Road to the Circus, and I was oh, cursing yeah. myself for how so how many words, how, how long the road is. Can you just get to the circus already? Seriously, where's the freaking circus in that book? That's a, that's a lot of buildup, no payoff. That's right. No payoff. Yeah. Long road to the, you're not going to see it in this book. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, my uh-huh. gosh. I have, a, I have a funny story about that title, actually, if you want to hear why it's called that. Because yes, it's true, there's a circus in there that there's no circus. Um, Spoiler so alert. I was, we were trying to come up with a name for the book. I had written it under the name Ostrich Gal, which everyone universally said was not a good title. I, I personally, I disagree. I think it was a great title, but all right, sure. Ostrich Gal. And they were like, nope, no, 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 no. And, uh, and so I was coming up with all these other names and, you know, my agent and, and David's agent kept being like, nope, 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 nope. And then finally I started, like, they would do their versions of, like, what kind of titles they wanted. And they were always, like, these vague, like, no noun titles. Like, you know, when you uh, reach me, which I guess you is a noun. That's a pronoun. Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, these names that you can't actually remember, like, you know, uh, too bright to see. You know, just these titles where it's like, that's, that's great with an award, but it is not a memorable name. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. remember that easily. Um, and I was like, oh, you want me to do like an awardee title? And I was thinking about it. And then I was like, well, you know, it's like, and I was talking to my agent. I was like, it's like, it's like if I would do like, like long way to Chicago, but if I did like long road to the circus and my agent was like, boom, I'm like, really? <laughs> Seriously? The second we're spitball? Just, yeah, we're right. Just gonna, we're just going to like steal from Richard Peck, just like that. He's like, yeah. I was like, <laughs> yes, all right. We so we sold the book and the, the editor who buys it in her letter says, you know, there was one of the things I liked about it. It had a real, uh, a real Richard Peck quality. And I'm like, oh, shoot. I fooled her. <laughs> I fooled her with the title. Oh, no. She thinks it's Richard Pecky. It's not. I'm not as good as him. But yeah, it was kind of fun. So, <laughs> title can make all the difference. That's, that is true. For sure. Especially with especially with a longer book like that, because you can't, I mean, a children's book, right? You read the inside and it's basically, that's like a third of the book already on the, you know, as like the inside jacket, like explanation. You're like, okay, I get the gist. Like, I see what, I see what's happening here. But like a middle grade, I mean, that's like so much to cram into that. So good luck. And then, yeah. And then you end up just looking for that circus. Exactly. I'm like, you can always look. It's, it's not about the circus. It's about the road to the circus. <laughs> right. A lot of roads in that book. Any one of them could be the right one. I don't know which one it is. You got to read it. Yeah. And you got to work with David Small on that book. Yeah. Who that I know was pretty cool. You love. Yeah. How did that happen? How did you get to work so with it's, him? Well, that's a crazy story. So um, it all goes back the, to my the long road to David no Small. good uncle. <laughs> yeah, literally, right. yeah. It literally, though, begins with my grandmother's no good uncle which is a weird way for any story to begin. Crazy. My grandmother worked on a farm, you know, not worked. She was a kid. She was a kid on a farm. Her dad owned a farm in Baroque, Michigan. And there were a little depression came, not the big depression, but a little one before that. And her uncle came with his family to help work on the farm. But the dang guy who all my relatives are like, you made him way too nice in the book. I'm like, okay, whatever. Anyway, he would skip out on the farm chores and he would go somewhere. And it turned out now the family legend was, that he was going to an ex-elderly circus performer's house to learn how to train the farm horses to do circus tricks. Um, 
Which is such a weird story. Backstory. Yeah. Yeah. And we're like, okay, this is one of those like family stories. We even had a name for it, like Madame Miranda. He went to Madame Miranda's house. We were like, whatever, dude. So fast forward, my mom's working in the uh, independent bookstore in Kalamazoo, the Athena. Um, rest in peace. Barnes and Noble killed that one. And David Small was a local illustrator. Now he was local. He lived in Menden, which was not that far from Kalamazoo, and consequently Baroque. And he, uh, you know, he was a, he was my local illustrator. He came into my like fourth grade class and did drawing, you know, for the kids in the library and stuff like that. And, you know, he was a big deal. He did Emma Jean's Antlers, which is, you know, that's a, that's a big book, man. That was a reading rainbow book for crying out loud. So, you know, it was a big deal. And he was, he'd do book release parties at the Athena. I would go. He claims he remembers me. He remembers my mom. My mom is very easy to remember, but I was like the silent, you know, eight-year-old who was just like, you know, big guy, just being, you know, I didn't say two words. It was freaking David Small. I was shy around normal people. So uh, he mentions casually. This girl? That gets the gal. That's 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 at my peak prettiness right there. Um, Oh, you got funny girl there. Uh, Podcast art right there. So he uh, he mentions casually my mom one day that he lives in the old Morantat house and actually used to belong to a ex elderly circus performer and she was oh, like interesting wah, 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 wah. and she does a little bit of research and she's like oh freaking heck the family story's true he was going to see a Madame Morantat now it is spelled Morantat uh, but of course this is Southwest Michigan so we say Morantat that's how you say that and Madame Morantat uh, she lived there great. So she tells me this and I'm like, oh, and I file it away. And then eventually kind of think to myself, wait, wait, family story. Madame Rantat, David Small lives in Rantat's house. Do book with David Small? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> so I kind of propose it to, I think I interviewed him about stitches at an ALA thing. And he was, you know, he did the nice, like, yeah, sure, sure. And then I um, I wrote a picture book because I was like, this would be a good picture book. Because he'd done the book woman. And I was like, oh, this would be like the book woman. You know, he, he does good stuff like that. It would be picked, I wrote up a picture book and I gave it to my agent. And he forgot about it and I forgot about it. And then Book Expo happened in Chicago. And uh, a guy came and, and he was like, oh, I saw David Small there promoting his latest book. He doesn't look so good. And I was like, he's, he's going to die. He's going to die. He's going to die. And he wrote him down my book. So I start poking my agent. I'm like, Steven, 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 read the book. And he's like, I don't have any more. I'm like, I'll send it to you again. And I sent it to him. And he read it. He was like, oh, that's pretty good. But the real key was that he had recently done a job with uh, David Small's uh, agent uh, with another client. And uh, so he was he was more like, oh, okay, so I know her and we can we can do this. So she, he sent it over and David got in touch. And David was like, well, do you want to see the house? Do you want to see the Morantat house? It is known as the Morantat house. And I was like, heck yeah see the Morantat out. So I drive over to Baroque and, and he gives me a tour of that and he gives me a tour of his studio and I get to see like the corner where he literally looks like he just like throws any for your award and so it's just like the pile of awards table. Oh my gosh. And uh, then we go out to dinner. We haven't really talked about the book much and on the way back he's like, yeah, I don't see it as a picture book. I see it as a novel. And I'm like, novels are longer than picture books. <laughs> they require more words than picture books. And I'm like, I, what? And he's like, I have faith in you. 
Okay. So <laughs> quick cut. I've done enough in-person meetings with David, um, like presenting this book that he gives his own side of the story at this point, And he tends to say, oh yeah, no, this wasn't the first Madame Morantat manuscript I'd ever been handed. I, people at the gym would hand him Madame Morantat things. You live oh, in a Madame Morantat wow. house, you're going to get a freaking, you're David Small. So he'd been getting tons of stuff. So he, in a way, he was kind of like just seeing like, yeah, how dedicated are you to this? And um, this is where the story breaks down. He claims in a year I produced the book as it stands. And I swear it would have had to have been two because I don't have that many chances to write. <laughs> but uh, in any case, within a year or two, I've done the novel. Now, he could have still rejected at this point. He wasn't agreeing to do it necessarily. But there were a couple factors that came to play. One, when he had taken me on that tour of the house and everything, we had also stopped at a local uh, historian who literally handed me a packet of every fact about Madame Rantat you could ever want because they'd done an exhibit two years before about her. And she just made Xeroxes of everything. She's like, here you go. And it was like, do you want to know what Madame Rantat's grandparents did for a living? I can tell you now. (laughs) Have it all in a packet. So laziest research of all time, this guy. That's what I was doing. And so I had that information. But but what made the book appealing to David was that he got to illustrate ostriches. And that had not been done before. Uh, Because, you know, circus, whatever, everybody does circus. It's not that interesting. But ostriches. That's very interesting. And I was very obsessed with ostriches at this point. So, oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's how the book came to be. And that's how David and I ended up doing a book together. Because I bring, you know, the rule is you do not walk in with an illustrator. But I have found that if you walk in with a Caldecott winner, you can get away with murder. If you walk in with David Small, it's three yeah. feet in the door already. I'm like, look, I brought David right. Small. Give us money, please. And, uh, <laughs> and so or if you walk in with Dan Santat, because I, I know that that's the other thing that I took. In that case, like I told my agent, I'm like, we're not supposed to walk in with an illustrator. He's like, well, what illustrator would you want? I was like, well, I want Dan Santat. And he's like, oh, go ask him. I'm like, fine. I was like, Dan. And he's like, what? And I'm like, can you do it? And he's like, can you wait two years? And I was like, sure. And he's like, okay. I was like, (laughs) all right. Like, well. Hey, look, I got Dan Santat. (laughs) Yeah, right? Like, give us some more money. Give us money, please. (laughs) Give it to us. (laughs) It's a wow. weird business. It's a weird business. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, that's the the rule is don't walk in with an illustrator unless they've written you know written Caldecott, gotten Caldecotts for stuff. And then, right. Then definitely. Then definitely walk in with them. Yes. Absolutely. Walk and in then, with them. You're right. walking with them at that. Point. Yeah. Yeah. They're not. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm with him. I'm with him. Yeah. They're bringing I'm me the lies. The lure. <laughs> Um, yes. Would you like to buy his pictures? I can write some words to go along with. Them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, because I was how the first picture book happened. Like my first book was um, Brandon Dorman, who has not won a Caldecott, but I had said many nice things on my blog about him, and he was a New York Times bestseller. Because this is at the height of Harry Potter, he wrote a picture book for Jack Perlutsky, I think, called The Wizard. And it was like a New York Times bestseller. It was like the top picture. Like if you had kids who loved Harry Potter, but they were picture- like they had younger siblings, that was the book you were buying for them, The Wizard. And uh, he was he came to me. He was like, you want to do a book with me? And I was like, sure. I'd never done one for kids at that point. And he was like, I only want to do one thing, Giants Leaping. And I was like, Giants Leaping? He's like, that's all I want to do. And I'm like, you got it. And so we wrote Giant three Dance ideas Party. and they bought two. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great. how you did Gi- Giant Dance Party. 
Oh That's what Giant Party happened. <laughs> Those things were not furry and blue at the start. I can tell you that much. That book went through a lot of iterations. They were gross and warty at the start. But yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like I feel like we should start something where it's like, okay, so for agents, they have the manuscript wish list, right? So illustrators need to start putting out what they want to illustrate. And we can go and look and be like, I will write that story. I'll write the story. I'll submit it to you. You say you love it. We'll go in together, right? Like, let's partner up. Let's do this. Man, I partner up all the time. It's really weird. I've got two different jobs right now with illustrators where we come up with crazy ideas. One will probably never happen, but you never know. And then the other one, I should have worked on it in my last writing retreat, actually. And then I've got this other one that is literally started as of a week ago because of a Twitter exchange. And uh, I love that. We're just going crazy with it now. And it's bizarre. So I love that. I love how Twitter, Twitter can be like such a magical place. I know that people get really down on Twitter and social media and whatever, but like I'm on Twitter specifically for writing. I don't follow anything else. I know none of those people in real life. I like, that's all that it's for. And the writing community, especially Kidlet seems so welcoming and just like, you know, down to just do whatever. Like people are like primed to say yes, because we hear no so often. I feel like, you know, you just like want to give back. You're like, no, I'll do that. I'll, I'll say yes. Yes. Let's do that. Come on. Come on. So like it, it never ceases to amaze me, like the generosity of it. And so I am not at all surprised that you now are working on a picture book based on the magic of Twitter. Cause you're like, well, I don't know. The sun's oh, it's a, it's a multi-part early chapter book series. Let me tell you. Mystery and, and STEM. It's like, just put it all together. There you go. Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's insane. Probably, I even know the publisher I want to pitch it to. And I'm like, if they're at ALA, we usually have lunch and this would be perfect for them. So I've got a whole crazy plan. My agent knows nothing about it. Shh, don't tell him. <laughs> so uh, I, I'm looking for the practical, the practical advice to aspiring authors to come. Oh, right. I'm very impractical. So it does. I often, yeah, because yeah, people will ask me like serious questions. So here's what not to ask me, how to get an agent. I got my agent by running kidlit drink nights in New York City. He started showing up. I got the deal with the giant dance party and went to a kidlit drink night and went, hey, it was really loud. Do you want to be my agent? I've got a book deal. And he was like, sure. And that's how I got my agent. So don't do that. Uh, unless you have a book deal, in which case, you know, go for it. But it's good to know the person that's beforehand. Cold, so. That's cold, cold drink querying, right? Yeah, it was called drink querying. I had also gotten him a Newberry winner as a client not long before that. So he owed me one. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, that was a good deal. That is but, an awesome yeah. how I got my agent story. That's probably the best one I've heard. Oh, I so love far. it. I just yelled at him in a bar and he said, sure, we've never signed anything. He's been my agent ever since. He's oh my God. So. I love that. And yeah. it's worked out. Like it, that's oh, the best great. part that it's like, well, these were the filters, right? Like free drink night. I'm there. Kidlet. I'm there. Like it filters down to this like really concentrated niche of people. And you're like, you know what? Let's do this. Like we're well, the only two people here. Advice, so. I, I do have practical advice on how to find the right agent because not every agent is right. I mean, first of all, when I, I was looking actively at the time, I mean, there were a couple people, big names that I knew casually, just like, because I lived in New York City. We all lived in New York City. We all ended up at the same parties. You know, you talk to them all the time. So I knew these people through different things. Like I ended up on the airplane with one of them twice once. And, 
you know, I think I was, that was Mo Willem's agent. So I was considering these big agents, but I was like, well, do I want like a big agent with big clients where all their energy is be going to be going into these big names? Yeah. Or do I want someone young and hungry, <laughs> but who right. has some context and knows how to do it? And that was kind of what I was looking for. So, you know, like, as I say, we, um, Cheryl Klein, who was, uh, you know, she's at Lee and Lowe now as an editor, but she was also with, um, at the time she was with Scholastic. She was the continuity editor on the Harry Potter books. Uh, we started Kid Lit Drink Night. And, you know, oh. this this dude comes in one day with like, you know, full suit and slick back hair and he's giving out his car and he's an agent. I'm like, whatever, dude. I don't think so. But <laughs> you know, I got to talking to him. And he was a great guy. I was like, oh, okay. All right. Well, that's good. And his clients, I knew his clients and they all loved him. And that's a, such a key thing. Find someone who loves their agent and who doesn't have complaints about Because one of the agents I was thinking about, she had a client who was like, yeah, I've been trying to get my agent to sell my graphic novel for years and she won't even touch it. And I'm like, hmm, that's a warning sign. So with this agent, I was like, okay, this guy seems good. His clientele love him, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how he operates. I don't know how he acts in the field. So I had this friend uh, by the name of Laura Amy Schlitz who happened to win a Newbery. Uh, it was like her fourth book and she didn't have an agent. She was doing this for Candlewick and Candlewick does beautiful books and they pay for them by not giving you much money. So she needed some money. Um, and she was going to be interviewing like three big New York agents. And uh, I heard about this. And I was like, well, I, I actually know a fourth if you've got time in your schedule. Uh, he's young and hungry and he might be worth it. And she's like, no, I'll work him in. So I tell him, I'm like, hey, I just got you to this uh, meeting. And he was like, oh. So he comes to my library. He reads all her children's books right off the bat. Then he starts reading all her romance novels under an assumed name. So he had done his research there. Then he starts reading her influences. So he starts reading Balzac for her. And I'm like, this is very interesting. <laughs> and then she meets with the three big agents, including one that she called the dragon lady. I would love to know who that was. Um, and she, she told me, she's like, it was like none of them even had read a, like the Newbery winner. Like nobody, they just, they were like, I was a privilege for me to, to meet them. Oh, and geez. she meets him and he can talk to her about every single one of her books. Um, you know, he, he's, he's just so well read. And she instantly, she was like, well, then instantly she was like, well, I'll talk to his, I'll talk to his clients and I'll find yeah. out because that's what you got to do. She talks to the clients and she, and then she comes back to me. She's like, if it weren't for the age difference between his authors and himself, I'd swear he was sleeping with them. They spoke so well of him. I was like, indeed, indeed. And, uh, and then he started representing her and she, she regularly thanks me for, for hooking me up with him. She's like regularly like, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. He's so good. Uh, and that was when I decided he's the one for me. <laughs> he seems to do you just had work. to send somebody else up. <laughs> I did. I had to set her up. I was like, let's see how this goes. Ooh, it well. <laughs> good enough for me. Unpublished author person. <laughs> no, that is a great piece of advice for the clients to love the agent. And also I feel like it's like um, it's like how energy gets like connected from one port to another. It's like okay, mm-hmm. well if the if the clients love the agent and you like the clients, then possibly you know like probably that will work out because well, it's like, also, I mean, 
Yeah, it, a great idea would be if you have authors who you really like and they do stuff that's similar to you, right. find out who they're represented by. You may find it's the same agent for a couple of people. And then that's a right. real indication like, ooh. But then you have to get what's the book, the children's writers and illustrators market, um, yeah, which we right. out every year and find out how what, what kind of books they're looking for and how you submit. That was a complaint my agent had. He was like, uh everyone's taking these classes. Now they instantly know how to apply and I can't just instantly just throw them away because they don't have it formatted right or something. They, they're all getting it right now. I'm like, oh, it's such a bummer for you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Especially as, so Josh and I are critique partners and we met in a specifically funny critique group. And so, you know, if you're if your agent doesn't get your humor or if your critique group doesn't get your humor, right. Then good luck. And it, you know, like we were saying before, there are so many different facets of humor. So to pare them down and for people to actually get it, it's like, cause I, I always joke. I'm like, well, okay. I got, I have Josh. He's the, like the, my go-to critique partner. Like he gets my stuff. My agent gets my stuff. So I need one more person to understand what I'm saying at, at the publishing level. And then I can get a book out, right? I just need the three people. That's it. Yeah. Like, That's true. That's absolutely true. Yeah. In my case, I don't have a, a critique partner, but I have my husband who's an editor um, who edits other do. people's manuscripts. And boy, he right. gives me great feedback. <laughs> Not harsh sometimes. Nothing like a spouse. Oh, who man. Knows how to write. Back. He's like, okay, none of this works. I'm like, ah. <laughs> My agent, and I should say, agents are only human. Uh, my agent is great. He has one flaw. He doesn't like robots. I can't feed him anything with robots. Oh. I'm, I'm still deprived. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a robot book out there someday. But he doesn't like them. He tells me straight up. He's like, I don't like robots. I'm like, I had a robot mystery you, series I was pitching. No. You will have a robot-specific agent someday. I know, right? I need Maybe like my robot. Be a robot. I basically need an agent who's a robot who yes. does my robot stuff, and then I've got my human agent who does my human stuff. Yes. Separate. Interspecies doesn't. Yeah, you can't. Apparently not, because no. all these like fleshy agents, they won't do it at all. <laughs> yeah, fleshy agents. One. Yeah. Would your agent appreciate being referred to as fleshy? <laughs> We're going to find out together. <laughs> Maybe don't listen to this podcast. I'm on vacation so. right now, so yeah. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, did you ever uh, did you ever define what sort of creator you wanted to be? I mean, I know we've talked about this investigative stuff. Hey, you know, David Small wanted you to write a longer book, uh, Fuzzy Blue Monsters, and you know, Dan Santat and all that. But did, did it's expanded from what you originally? Yeah, would have I, of. this is actually a bit of a problem for my agent. It's very easy when you've got an author who does, I'm a nonfiction author. I do nonfiction picture books. Occasionally I do longer nonfiction and I do nonfiction because that's what I do. And I do some biographies and I do some books on bugs and I do all that. That's easy to take care of. And then you got me who I'm like, I'm going to do two picture books. Then I'm going to do an anthology of a bunch of other authors who are funny and cram them all together. I'm going to do an author, like all, an adult book, but I'm going to write it with two other people. And it's about kids books, but it's like really adult. Oh, then I'm going to do like a middle grade novel over here. And you know what I'd really like to do is some nonfiction. I got this crazy idea for a nonfiction picture book. Yeah, he's just trying to rein me in. He's just like... You should like specify what it is you want to do more. And I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. I just, right. I'm the magpie. I'm the, I like to see the shiny. I'm like shiny. You know, it's, I, no one's done this before. Now I'm working on an early chapter book series with an author and an illustrator for no particular reason. Cause it came through Twitter and 
I don't know. I have another picture book idea that I really want to do, but it's a good read aloud one. Oh, it'd be so good. If the only connecting thread, if I can connect any kind of a thread is that it's humor. Humor is the only thing that connects any of the stuff that I do. It's got to be funny. Um, I'm not, I often say I'm not really going to be like a big award winner. Uh, don't tell anybody who buys my books. But if I had to suspect, I'm not going to do the sad dog book. The dog's dead. Everyone acknowledges the dog is dead. I'm sad. You're sad. We're all sad. The dog is dead. That's not my thing. I'm not good at the sad, uh, the meaningful. I can get like hints of meaning out of a book, but I'm not going to have the book that's like, it changed my life. Bridge to Terabithia was the book mm. that I rested my entire life on and my personality is based entirely on this book. Like that's, I'm not a Bridge to Terabithian. Uh, <clears throat> not a Jacob Have I Loved author. <laughs> I'm uh, I, I'm too cheery for that. So. Mm. I, yeah, I agree. I totally identify with that. Like I cannot, I have such trouble writing heart into my humorous books i just can't even i know right i'm like oh it has to have (laughs) but the punchline it's so good don't you get it like come on who needs heart and they're like no no like where's the heart things like like, make me care i'm like you don't you don't care about the about the joke about the funny one one liner like come on that was gold look at the puns no yeah that's especially for middle grade novels middle grade novels they need heart and i was like well all right I'm going to put some of that stuff in there. And, right. Uh, Susie needs more than just a, a death grip, right? Yeah, I know. The death grip, boy, that got rewritten a couple times because apparently I was choking the ostrich too often. And people were like, people don't like it when you choke an ostrich. I'm like, oh, all right. Good good point. Good point. <laughs> choke that ostrich less. Okay. <laughs> good note. Good note. Good note. Good note. Sounds weird, but it's good note. Yeah. Yes. Take it under advisement. <laughs> Does your... Does your mm, I don't want to I don't want to overhype this, but does your status or or level of recognition in the industry afford you any connective tissue between your work or credibility or how do you how do you view that in relationship to your books? Well, it's I'm in a funny position. I think uh, when I lived in New York. I had a level of cred that has waned in the intervening seven years since I've left New York. Um, When you're in the publishing heart of the country and you're seeing everybody all the time and and you just kind of get used to it, then, and, you know, I was working for New York Public Library, which is New York Public Library, and I was buying all the kids' books for New York Public Library and doing all this stuff. I mean, that has a lot more weight than the than the children, than, than the librarian in, in Evanston, Illinois, who was with New York Public Library. I mean, I still have the blog. Um, it's shifted. Um, it's changed a certain amount. So, yeah, I've got, I mean, my name, part of the reason, not, it's not true. I was going to say part of the reason I took the last name that I did, because it's memorable. I did take it because it's memorable, but I had no intention of um, going into publishing or writing or, or any of this. I, I, I did want to become a librarian, and the thought did become, if I become a children's librarian, and my name is Betsy Bird. That's fantastic. And that's a joke I can't give up. And then I find out later his best friend's name is Jeff Betts. It could have been Betsy Betts. That would have been even better. <laughs> that's all right. Um, but Betsy Bird, that's just a good name. It's so, great alliteration. You can't pass that up. It's great alliteration. It's easy to remember. Yes. Uh, you can remember Betsy Bird because it's a pretty memorable name. And that's so key is people continue. So people do continue to remember me. Um, even if they haven't seen me in a long time, which is great. How much of that is really 
trade. I mean, that works great if, um, well, for example, I just got an offer from uh, the Bologna Book Fair, the International Rights Fair for children's books. It's the biggest in the world. They just, their press office was like, hey, you want to come here for free? We'll pay for everything. And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> great. Totes. So it works for that. But for the actual books, no, well, I got I to gotta fight and claw like everybody else. And I've had plenty of books that I've written or I've written parts of and I've submitted them and I've heard nothing back. And, mm. you know, it, I've gotten my rejections just like everybody else. I think um, if I have an advantage in any way, it's just people I ask to work with, like Dan Santat and, and David Small, things like that. In that case, yeah, that tends to... Um, well, in Funny Girl, it's a great example because Funny Girl was like me basically going to like Shannon Hale being like, hey, Shannon, you want to write me a story for like super cheap and then you're not going to get any residuals on? And she was like, sure. <laughs> so And our names will be attached there. to each other. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, you want to you wanna like fund my child going to college? Do you? Do you? Okay, great. Right. Cool. And she did. Ah. Along with Raina Telgemeier and all those other people. So, yeah. They're doing okay. Yeah, that's that's the only way I've, I've really ever seen. I, as far as I know. I mean, yeah, as far as I know, I'm sure there are things I don't even, I'm not even like perfectly aware of that have certainly been influenced by it mm. to a certain extent. Yeah. But in, in terms of, you know, thinking back to people that are listening to this, it's the same, no matter who you are or how many books you have out there, it's the same sort of like, the publishers, marketing departments, they still have to consider how they're going to sell your book, no matter who you are, unless you're David Exactly. Small, I've got a tech. brilliant picture book and it was great. I'm just going to say it was great. And it was about <laughs> books. I had a good one about, okay, I had one about grandmothers. It was really good. And we tried to sell it. And the, and the publishing company that we sold it to was like, or we're trying to sell it to was like, yeah, but we already have a book coming out in a couple seasons about grandmothers. <laughs> I was like, Oh, well then the <laughs> that box, the yeah. grandma market's been filled. It's yeah. Like, right. But that's the thing. They'll say like, Oh, you have a book about books. Yeah. We just find books about books don't do very well. I'm like, really? That's like a really broad category to just sort of put a big old X through oh, books about books. Don't sell. I'm like, okay, this yeah. one's not really like those, but okay, sure. All right. Fine. All right. So still a good idea. I'm still going to sell it someday. I swear to you. (laughs) So to sort of piggyback what Josh was saying. So yes, I mean, you have to fight like everybody else. So one of the questions I wanted. (laughs) He's not going to sell everything I give to him. So yeah. Yeah, right. Well, one of the questions I wanted to ask you is what do you think about um, celebrity books coming out? You know, like they... Because there's a lot of like, so in the 12 by 12 forum, there's there was a whole thing about like people were getting, you know, upset about celebrity books coming out and sort of like jumping the line, if you will. You know what I mean? Yeah. So they, they, they had their peak about 10 years ago, actually. It's interesting. There's so fewer of them than there used to be. It used to be like every week we had another celebrity, quote unquote celebrity, you know, picture book coming out. And these days I've noticed a real downturn in the number that I'm seeing. Um, Not that there aren't any, but there's, they, they're, I don't know if they're becoming more choosy or what the, or people just have more going on in their lives and they don't want to write books as much. I don't know, but I've certainly seen less. We dedicated a whole chapter to them in uh, wild things, acts of mischief. Um, mm. talking about like, what's the worst one? Um, it's a, it's, I, we all have our favorites. Uh, mine without a doubt was, oh my gosh. I see. I can't even like remember the title anymore. It was so long. 
it was oh god it was nick cannon and mariah carey's kid um kids like they wasn't mariah carey i think so and it was like rick and ross's new year's eve where the song went on the first day of christmas we put on the christmas tree and it was just like why do you have christmas twice in one sentence anyway we all have our favorite <laughs> anti-celebrity uh, picture books madonna sort right. of typified the genre but you know, I recently we've seen some good ones. I mean, we can't deny that the book with no pictures was a good picture book. It was funny. I hadn't that was really good. seen anything that had done exactly that before. It was very much right. the bane of the monster at the end of this book and all that stuff. And there's been books that are like, oh, I could, you know, there was an elephant and piggy. Uh, we are in a book where they like make the, you know, the person reading it say funny things. But mm-hmm. really nothing had been taken it to that level. And that was technically a celebrity picture book. Yeah, um, right. Well, know. and BJ Novak is a writer, though, so I feel right. like that, exactly. in my opinion, That's, went over. But a not every not every adult writer is good at writing for kids. Many the graphic True. novelist has written a picture book, and I have been like so excited, and then I read it, and I'm like, eh, uh, <laughs> they just, right? They just didn't quite get it. Um, you know, I just got the new Seth Meyers. Uh, I'm not scared. You're scared, which is the title. Yeah. It's a good title. I'm not going to say it's not. It is it's a good fine. title. Yeah, it's it's a fine book. Um, mm. It goes a little long. It does not act by the rule of threes. And I think it really could have benefited from the rule of threes. <laughs> but it's not bad. And the art, mm. of course, they always get great artists. So that's not even an issue. But yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see how they've changed. I do feel like quality control has stepped in at some point, mm. which is weird because we're seeing more picture books than we've ever seen. Like the amount of picture books that I'm seeing is like through the roof. Oh, um, wow. And yet we're not seeing as many by celebrities, which is usually how they bankroll. Huh. I think they're, they've kind of traded in spending all that money to get the celebrity for let's just put as many picture books out in certain yep. seasons as we can and just throw them against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting method. Huh. Um, I'm not saying all the big five are doing it, but that's, that's what I'm seeing in general. That's interesting because, you know, being on the other end of it, it feel you know, like with the editors having burnout, agents having burnout, like all of that trickles down. And so mm-hmm. from the author's point of view, it's like, oh man, it's actually getting way tighter out there no books are getting through nobody's publishing anything you know what i mean that's what it feels you're on the receiving end it's just this flood of pictures i mean you ask anyone who's done the judging for the society of illustrators show and they'll tell you they'll be like look you know seven years ago there was a bunch but it was nothing compared to now um and i think there's like a range of reasons for that um I think technology, uh, digital, you know, digital publishing, digital art, um, you know, it's, it's, it's very, I like, I like watching trends. I'm a trend watcher. Um, so, and and this this amount of picture books has been high for a while. It's a little hard to gauge now post pandemic, of course, Mm. because so many things were stopped up. So I'm not sure if I'm seeing the flood now because these are things that were supposed to be coming out and they're all just now coming out or, if it's maintaining, I'm not sure it's at the same level it was in 2019. I'll say that. I think it's less than that, but I don't think it's as low as it was, say, in even 2015. Hmm. Well, that's good to hear for us yeah. on this end. So books are getting through. <laughs> they are getting through. They are getting through. It's an in- <laughs> very interesting what gets through. Yeah. yeah, right. And then, so on that note also, 
like, so there has been a lot of controversy about um, Harry Potter and the author and the comments that she made. So I'm what I just wonder, like, how do you feel about? I mean, this is this is such a big question, and it is not just for children's lit. It, it you know covers a, a vast bunch of categories. But how do you feel about you know separating art from the artist? You know, like how do you like what do you what are your thoughts? I guess we, we'd like to talk to you about the challenging statements that you've made in the past of that course. we'd like to play for the recording. <laughs> Oh my god! I don't know if I have any recorded, but you can certainly read some stuff that I've written that uh, has since gone on. I literally went on a podcast with Grace Lynn once to explain stuff on my blog from the past, so that was fun. Um, We're not going to do that here. Well, I used to do a series called Hot Men of Children's Literature, and let me tell you, these days that don't fly. (laughs) Oh my god, that's awesome! It was how I made my name. The very rocks upon which this foundation is built is hot and <laughs> It made me famous. Couldn't do it today. Um, yeah, so the question is, right, how do you separate? I just totally derailed the whole conversation. It just, it just went right over there. You didn't see that There was one. never rails to begin with. I'm, like, I'm just happy people know me now without having known Hot Men of Children's Literature for a long time. Jared Kozowska got the key to the city and they mentioned it once. So I kid you not. It was a thing back in the day. Um, okay, so how do you separate the artist from the work uh, is the eternal question. You know, the, I was just listening to, um, I love, I'm a huge podcaster. And I was listening to the podcast of uh, Pop Culture Happy Hour where they were talking about the new documentary with W. Kamal Bell called We Need to Talk About Bill Cosby. And there's a whole Uh conversation in that about not just separating the artist from the work, but also what they did in the past historically and, you know, their connections to their community. And that's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about. It's such a simpler thing with J.K. Rowling, or is it? I mean, that's an entire, that's different. So, I mean, there was another statement um, that was made online, and I think it was by the guy who played Wesley on Star Trek, whose name I always forget. Mm. But he's been asked, like, in terms of, like, Buffy, how do you separate Buffy from Joss Whedon? And in his case, it's it's easier. He was saying, well, look, he he wasn't the one person working on this. A whole lot of people Mm. worked on this. So much trickier when it's the author, though, right? Because that's mostly just what's coming out of their brain. Yes, there were continuity editors. Yes, there were other kinds of editors. Yes, there was, you know publicity people and all that but it really came mostly from one person's head so you know it's i take it very much on a case-by-case basis we've had some real well we're preparing right now because we're feeling that with the critical race theory anti-crt people um they're coming from my library at some point they're gonna we've already gotten two of them in uh looking at what book was it they were looking at um not my idea by uh, anastasia higginbatham which is the book about whiteness uh, they've mm-hmm. already started coming into libraries with the eye to potentially remove stuff. And we're, we want to be ready for that. On the flip side, we have parents who go through the collection with their kid and their kid like pulls out the five Chinese brothers. And it's like the parents like, what the fuck? Are the- <laughs> Why is this on your shelf? And in that case, what we want to do is like, we don't like getting rid of stuff, but we like, and we sort of like, you know, we had, um, a case recently, I'm going like 20 directions, but we had a case recently with a, uh, a black parent who had found this popular Minecraft series oh, called Popular MMOs, super problematic. Came out like two years ago uh, based on their YouTube series 
but it has these characters. There's one black character. He's repeatedly called dumb, 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 stupid, dumb, um, idiotic. And then there's a bad guy. The bad guy looks just like the, the good white girl. She's a bad white girl, but you can tell she's evil because she has big lips and her entire life she's been teased for her big lips and she wished she could be beautiful and have thin lips like the good guy girl, but she just doesn't. And we, you know, the woman gave us the book and we were like, how the heck did this get in our, in our catalog? Why did we buy this? It's a real difference between something that came out like 50 years ago and a thing that just came out. But this parent said, you know, this black parent was like, I don't want you to just sweep this under the rug and like pretend that you, you never, it doesn't exist. I want us to have a conversation about this. And mm-hmm. we're like, yes, we need conversational tools. So that's what we're working on right now is we're trying to find conversational tools for the parent who comes in saying, why do you have Harry Potter? Haven't you heard the things that this woman's saying? We're like, yeah, that's something you need to be talking to your kids about. Here are some tools with which to talk to your kids about. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, if we just get rid of everything, it's like, oh, it never happened. Oh, there's no problem. Yeah, it's like a 1984 situation. Yeah, Yeah, you're just going to write it out. But it's so tricky because, like, the question is, is the book doing active harm? And Mm -hmm. what about the kid who doesn't have the parent who's involved? And, oh, there's so many angles to it. So the answer is I have no answers. (laughs) And I mean, that's totally fair. Yeah. Nobody does. Nobody has the answer. Yeah, right. It's, It's an interesting, like, very complicated yeah, situation. And I think, I mean, I think that's super smart to just have it so that it's, yeah, it sparks the conversation at least. And we, and I'm just doing a time check. I've got about a half hour left and then I got to go pick up my kids from school. So yeah. being reflective on that. We will cut this stuff out, as you know, as a podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> we'll excise oh, yeah. from the record. The meeting I actually room. wouldn't know. My sister does all the editing. I made her do a podcast <laughs> with me and then I made her be the editor. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love that yeah, so right? much. <laughs> that's how you do it. Find someone does with she, no hobbies and then get them to Does she have any bona fides for podcasting? Not really? No. She knows how to edit on, uh, she does it on GarageBand, I think. So. Awesome. All right. Ride, ride your old sister Betsy's coattails into the sunset. Learn this new trade, right? I think she must have done something. She's very bright. So I don't know how I managed to, yeah, get her to do it. It was the whole <laughs> thing that was holding me back from doing podcasting. I had done one very briefly in like, God, really super early, like 2006 or something. And um, not that early, 2009. Um, and then I was just like, this is a lot of work and it's not a lot of payoff and I'm not getting paid for it. So, and I stopped doing it. And then when she moved to my area, my neck of the woods, I was like, she doesn't have any hobbies. She's super bored. She'd like to do this. And she did. She wanted, She likes sister bonding stuff. So, Oh, perfect. There you go. Stay on her love of me. <laughs> well, I, I I would like to say that there is a, a a large barrier to entry to doing podcasting, but there's really not, especially not. now compared to 2006. It is immensely easy. So, yeah, not right. to undersell what Kate uh, the value that she's delivering to you, but uh, but it's it's a lot more straightforward than it used to be. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, because I remember (laughs) doing it before, and then I did it the second time. I was like, this is great. There's all these things set up that weren't set up before. Totally. Lovely. You may contribute a verse. Thanks for listening this week. Find out more about us and our guests and the artists behind their cover and theme music at our websites, verse.show, renegenerate.com, and joshmontgords.com. See you next verse. Bye.